go. That was awful. Go. Members of the mysterious and spooky Adams family, Gomez, Morticia, Pugsley, Wednesday, Uncle Fester, and Grandma are readily preparing for a visit from their even creepier relatives. But trouble soon arises when shady TV personality Margot Needler realizes that the Adams' eerie hilltop mansion is standing in the way of her dream to sell all the houses in assimilation. Directed by Conrad Vernon and Greg Tiernan, starring Oscar Isaac, Charlize Theron, Chloe Grace Moretz, Finn Wolfhard, Nick Kroll, Snoop Dogg, Bette Midler, and Allison Janney. I give you the Adams Family, I'm sorry, the Cinescape Magazine movie review of the Adams Family animated movie. You ring. You ring. I love the fall, the autumn season. There's something about it that I, I, I just, it's not too cold. It's not, it, the hot is gone. It, there's just something about it. It's, it's like, a, I don't know. I, I just loved it my whole life. And the older I'm getting, the more I'm becoming nostalgic about it. And now I, I love watching uh, horror films and Halloween related type stuff during, during, especially during September and October. And I even started putting up Halloween lights in my apartment. Uh, like I started putting them up uh, in the middle of September because I just, I love the whole feel of it. And it goes away way too quickly, way too fast. And then Christmas is in your face for two damn months. So I love the, to embrace this season for as long as it's here. And uh, I'm even willing to go and see movie horror films that come out during this time period, even if I know they're going to suck, because most of them do. They don't know how to, most, most people don't, most studios don't know how to make horror films properly anymore. But I'm w- almost willing to see some of them during this time period because of the ambiance of it all. So when we went and saw The Adams Family, which I did not think that you were going to want to see as much much as, as um, Gemini Man with Will Smith. <laughs> Thank God we didn't see that. That movie's being destroyed. Um, yeah. I mean, it already looked like a straight-to-video movie to me anyway, but I, I, I'm just I'm glad that we Dude, didn't. Ang Lee wanted to show this in... 120 frames a second. Yeah, Ultra 4K. Yeah. In like one theater in all of the United States or two theaters in all of the United States. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm being facetious, but there's virtually no theaters in the United States that do 120 frames per second Ultra 4K. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit about Ultra 4K. Yeah. It's it's just the same as as fucking The Hobbit. The Super HD that they came yeah. out with uh between regular DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, when we saw The Hobbit and they we saw it in the 48 frames a second, I could see there was a hyper reality to it. it there was something. It, it was like watching. Um, it was like watching a soap opera. Remember the so- afternoon yeah. soap operas? Yeah. It was like that. Yeah, it, and, you know, it was. It was. You know what? It was worth it was seeing. Like watching General it, it looked Hospital. cool because it was also filmed in 3D, and most 3D movies suck because they're post converted. But Hobbit and Avatar are filmed in 3D anyway. Um, it it looked cool, but it's not something I'd want to see very often, if at all, any ever again. Um, so that you know, finding out about the the Gemini Man, it, it just it wasn't appealing. So with the Adams family. You you know, actually, I was kind of glad that you you changed your mind, or you didn't change your mind. You just wanted to see the Adam family <laughs> instead of Gemini Man. Yeah, we see a couple of animated films a year. I, yeah. I kind of keep with that idea of because we, I mean, we watch more than fifty movies a year. Yeah, and in some cases, over a hundred movies a year. We don't review all of them. Like mm-hmm. I just watched um, the. The Secrets of Frankenstein, which was a documentary on the Frankenstein monsters. Yeah. And I, and I just watched Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I'm sure that, that at the time when the movie came out, it was tremendous. Yeah. But it didn't keep my... It didn't keep my attention at all. Like you, like if I have a TV, I have the TV on right now behind us. If something's going on the TV that I've already started watching, yeah, and it keeps my interest, I'll watch that movie instead of doing whatever I'm doing. Yeah, and 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 just kind of pay attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein didn't even. It did, I didn't even bat an eye. I watched the very I watched the first twenty minutes of it. The original with Boris Karloff. Yeah. Okay. I watched the first twenty minutes of it, and I was just like, you know, I I can't. Mm-hmm. But I left it on just in case it would capture my attention because yeah. I love old movies. I love that shit. Uh-huh. And nothing. And of course, it's October too, and I totally forgot it. You know, for the first week of October, I keep forgetting that it's October. Yeah. And and I really wanted to watch 
that movie. I mean, the the documentary was more interesting than the movie. Yeah, and it's just it's sad. It, it's kind of sad. I mean, I, I maybe this is why it does it for it didn't do it for you because I think that it's like um, it's been copied and redone so many times, and and it's just you go back to the original. It's just not there anymore. No. That's not that. No, because I don't. I don't buy into that shit. I don't buy into people going, "Oh, it's already been done, so therefore I don't need to see it." It, It's the experience. If you go and see, if you go and watch King Kong, or if you go and watch, like, if you watch the '78 or whatever, seventy six. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch that version of King Kong that came out with Kurt Russell and um, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, that's what I meant. And yeah, Jessica Lange. Yeah. And you watch the original King Kong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's again, it's an experience. The experience is different for every movie. Yeah. And that's how I view it. It's not, not, you know, well, the, the De Niro one was better. And I'm not saying it was or wasn't. I'm just being facetious. Yeah. The De Niro one was better or this version of Frankenstein was better or the Hammer Films version was better, whatever. I, I just don't, I don't view it that way. I don't, I try not to compare and contrast the films that have been made over and over again from a series or from a from a you know a, a, a studio standpoint mm-hmm. like Dracula and whatnot I get pulled into these movies well you know what and I also you already watched Frankenstein when you were a kid so it, it, it's different for you like it's it say like kids no nowadays. actually I never did never seen the original Frankenstein I never watched I, that's the first time that I actually sat down and tried to watch well then that kind of makes sense than what I'm saying because I know it's like kids nowadays they watch all the shit they watch and then they they you have them watch the original Star Wars, it's not going to be anything to them. No, but see, that's not how I view things. Mm-hmm. When I, again, it's the experience. And this movie was boring. It, it it started off, it started off interesting and then it got to the point where they were pushing a wagon and they cut yeah. down a guy that was hanging. The movie's not even an hour and a half and it's fucking boring. I, I, I know, I just watched it last week. Yeah. And, that and Bride. And I just, there's nothing about, and the reason why, I, yeah. here's the reason why. The movie and the book are two completely separate things. Mm-hmm. I, I believe the book starts off with them in the Arctic. Okay. And what? and Frankenstein kill or Frankenstein is killed yeah. by the monster. It start that's how the book fucking starts. Just like the movie with Robert De Niro in uh, ninety four. And did like that. And this one, they just kind of hit the highlights. Yeah. And and Boris Karloff is great. And I've seen scenes with it. You know, I've I've watched obviously mm-hmm. parts of the movie where Boris Karloff is Frankenstein. But for the most part, there are better Frankenstein movies out there. Yeah. And done by Universal, by the way. Mm-hmm. The original Frankenstein, in my opinion, the only good part about that was the Boris Karloff monster. Yeah. But again, when I'm when when you watch it, the acting is bad. Yeah. The 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 lighting, you, you can tell when they're using the studio versus outside, and mm-hmm. most of it is inside studio stuff. Yeah. And and it's just it was cheap production mm-hmm. compared to all the other movies that had come out during that time. Yeah. And they could have done a much better job. And they didn't. So that's my problem with it. But okay, anyways. so you're looking you're looking at it from a filmmaking perspective then. In, in a sense, I was okay. I was just looking at it as is this a movie that I like and it's not. I just kept comparing it to Young Frankenstein. <laughs> and that, yeah, yeah, part um, of it is that. Cuz I watched Bride cuz I have a DVD set that has like five Frankenstein movies on it and um I watched Bride right afterwards and um it like half the scenes that they do an homage to in uh, Young Frankenstein are in Bride of Frankenstein, which is like a direct sequel. Even though it came out four years later, it's a direct sequel to the first Frankenstein movie. Right. And then Bride only shows up for three minutes at the end of the movie, which is hilarious. You think call it? Yeah, in the book, yeah. he, he, um, the reason why Frankenstein leave um, the monster leaves Doctor Frankenstein is yeah. because Frankenstein decides that the monster wants him to create a bride. Yeah. And he starts creating a bride and destroys the bride. And Frankenstein realizes that he's, or the monster realizes that he is going to be alone for the rest of his life. Yeah. Because of this. And he doesn't want anything to do with Dr. Frankenstein and leaves. Mm-hmm. And then Frankenstein chases him down. And that's where this whole story is is set up. This is That's basically the gist of the whole story. Yeah. You know what I, I noticed is with, um, with the first two Frankenstein movies that I've seen, is they're like cliff note versions and they're not even fully cliff notes. Like they're just some cliff notes. Like, yeah. Like you said, highlights. Yeah. And that's, that's what bothers me. I think that's what bothers me about this movie is that after 
knowing what I know about the book and everything else. Yeah. And then watching the original and how they butchered. Yeah. They completely just fucking butchered it in into an hour and 20 minutes of yeah. movie. It doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. And most of those movies don't interest me. Most of the Frankenstein movies do not because there is nothing about them. Besides that from is, Karloff. Yeah. Besides, well, not yeah. just Karloff. I think Alon Chaney Jr. played Frankenstein at one point mm-hmm. and a couple of other actors. But, um, uh, um, Oh, who was the guy that played Dracula? Oh, uh, you're talking about Lugosi. Yeah, Bella Lugosi. I believe yeah. played Frankenstein as well. Uh, yeah, like did. like the fifth one, he he um, ended up playing Frankenstein for one of them. Yeah, yeah. And I read a shitload of trivia while I was watching them. Yeah, and um, when when those when the movies are made, they just kind of skip over the important shit, mm-hmm. like the whole idea that Frankenstein's monster kills Frankenstein. They kind of leave that out. Yeah. With few exceptions. I mean, they, um, uh, I can't remember what the, 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 the kind of teeth they were, but Karloff had his, um, had the, the crowns or something like that in the middle of his teeth removed, um, so that his, his, uh, cheeks would sink in. Right. But if you watch, um, Bride of Frankenstein, which came out four years later, he doesn't have his cheeks sucked in anymore because he ca- he didn't have them taken out that time. Like right. he had to do another role for other shit. Cause he was making like five, six movies a year. Yeah. Uh, Karloff was in, um, oh, what is that movie? He was making, I mean, he was making a shitload of movies before he even got noticed as Frankenstein. He had been acting for a long time. Just that, that the role of, of Frankenstein's monster, it, it, it just got his, it got him the, you know, the recognition. Yeah, but he was in, he's in one of my favorite movies. And well, he does the voice for the, he's the narrator in the Grinch cartoon. Yeah. You're a mean one. Yeah, he did Grinch and all these other things. You probably did like 200 fucking movies. See, like if you like the makeup on Frankenstein's monster is just fucking incredible. That's yeah. Bride of Frankenstein, but it's still incredible. Yep. I, I mean, I don't agree with it because he's supposed to look more human. But again, I mean, it makes it look just nasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus Christ. He's got so many fucking movies. Yeah. See, it's going to be in the 40s. Mr. Wong Detective. <laughs> he played Frankenstein a lot. Yeah, he played it. He played Frankenstein. Uh, I believe he played him three times. And then he was in another Frankenstein movie, but he didn't play Frankenstein. He, he played like a mad, the mad doctor or something like that. Frankenstein 1970. I think it was in, um, might have been The House of Frankenstein. Frankenstein 1970. He was in the Wild Wild West. Huh. And he died in 1968. I can't find the fucking, the movie. It's the one where it's two old ladies, or two sisters who live in a house, and then um, is Clark Gable in it? One of them, Clark Gable or somebody's in it. And they, the, his, uh, it's, it's his aunt's. You know, mm-hmm. one's his mother, one's mother's sister, mm-hmm. and they're fucking murderers. They kill people for their uh, for their social security checks. Oh, like Dorothea Puente. Yeah, and what's really fucking amazing about it is maybe it wasn't Boris Karloff. Maybe it was uh, Lugosi or Lon Chaney or I swear to God, it was Boris Karloff. <laughs> Arsenic and old lace. That's it. See, Boris Karloff, Cary Grant, Frank Capra's Arsenic and old lace. You want to talk about a horror movie that's not a horror movie? Uh-huh. This movie. So this this movie is uh, is film in uh, 1941. Um, it was not released until 44. The lead role of Mortimer Brewster was originally intended for Bob Hope, but he could not be released from his contract with Paramount. Capra also approached Benny and Ronald Reagan before learning that Cary Grant wanted the role. Boris Karloff played Jonathan Brewster. Now, I went through his entire list. Yeah. And I didn't see Arsenic and Always on there. That's really weird. The other person that's in this is, um, oh, God. Yes, master. Uh, of course, there's a cast list. Wait, it just said something about, if you like read about the Karloff. Peter Laurie. On the Broadway, he was unable to do it, too, because he was still appearing in the play during filming. So Raymond Massey took his place. Oh, he, okay. Boris Karloff played him in the yeah, in the play. Boris Karloff, who played Jonathan Brewster, who looks like Karloff on the Broadway stage, but was unable to do the film, too, because he was still appearing in the play during filming. So that's why it showed, It didn't show on his film. Right. He was, but he was in the play. Yeah. So if you and, look up his theatrical roles, then I mean his, um, his, his Broadway. Films. Yeah. His theater roles. Yeah. So in the movie, because Cary Grant... Grant would see him, you know, and he and he plays every time he sees his brother, mm-hmm. he would say something along the lines of like, "You look like Boris Karloff," <laughs> which is really funny. So it just kept. But the movie is okay. The Brewster family of Brooklyn, New York, is descended from Mayflower settlers. Several illustrious forebears portray. Um, 
Mortimer Brewster, who has repeatedly denounced marriage as an old-fashioned superstition, falls in love with Elaine Harper, the minister's daughter who grew up next door to him on Halloween day. Mortimer and Elaine get engaged. Elaine goes to her father's house to tell her father and pack for the honeymoon. Mortimer returns to Abby and Martha, the aunts who raised him in the old family home. Mortimer's brother, Teddy, who believes he is Theodore Roosevelt, resides with them. Each time Teddy goes upstairs, he yells charge and takes the stairs at a run. (coughs) And then his brother, Jonathan, comes home. Uh, Searching for the notebooks for his next book, Mortimer finds a corpse hidden in the window seat. He assumes in horror that Teddy's delusions have led him to murder. Abby and Martha cheerfully explain that they are responsible, that they minister to lonely old bachelors by ending their suffering. They post a room for rent sign to attract a victim, then serve a cup of elderberry wine spiked with arsenic, strychnine, and a punch, just a pinch of cyanide. Only a pinch. While getting acquainted, the bodies are buried in the basement by Teddy, who believes they are yellow fever victims who perished in the building of Panama Canal. <laughs> when Mortimer digests this information, his brother Jonathan arrives with his alcoholic accomplice, plastic surgeon Dr. Herman Einstein. That's where you get the whole he looks like Boris Karloff thing. Mm. Jonathan is a serial murderer trying to escape from the police and dispose of his latest victim. Jonathan's face, altered by Einstein while drunk, resembles Boris Karloff's Frankenstein monster makeup. Jonathan learns his aunt's secret and proposes to bury his victim in the cellar. Abby and Martha object vehemently because their victims were nice gentlemen, while Jonathan's victim is a stranger and a foreigner. Don't bury him in the basement with those people. We don't know him. (laughs) Jonathan declares his intention to kill Mortimer. Eventually, Jonathan is arrested. Einstein flees after having signed Teddy's commitment papers, and Teddy is safely consigned to an institution. His aunts insist upon joining him. Abby and Martha inform Mortimer that he's not a Brewster. After all, his mother was a family cook, and his father had been a chef on a steamship. Blah, 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 blah. Amazing film. But- a horror film when you have an entire family of murderers. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, twisting that whole thing and then using people, I mean, other than Boris Karloff, but they wanted to use Boris Karloff. Yeah. You have Peter Lorre in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. You have Cary Grant who, you know, doesn't do horror movies, but yeah. Boris Karloff who does. You have you have Peter Lorre who also has done a lot of, you know, um, mobster movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. All of this all combined together makes for an amazing film. Yeah. And one that I highly, highly recommend. Like, I, this is my favorite film above Empire Strikes Back. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's very few films that I will rank above that. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, two, three is another one that had uh, uh, Jimmy Cagney in it. Yeah, is it the one where he works at a soda company? Yeah, he works for Coke. Yeah. Um, that one, this one, and there's like one more. But mm-hmm. but these are old, they're, they're older films. They're in their 40s. So when I watch a film from the 40s or whatever, yeah. and it pulls me in like this movie did, like I fell in love with this movie instantly. Mm-hmm. Just, just from the, the the ants being murderers. I think I was like that for uh, Hatari with uh, John John Wayne. I had never seen Hatari before, and I saw it like uh, ten years ago. Yeah, I, I love that movie. And I'm not a, I'm not a fan of John Wayne. I respect him. Why not? God damn it! Because of that. <laughs> um, no, I, I I you know what? I don't know. It's very stiff acting. He's very you know he almost seemed like the same guy in every goddamn movie, role too. Kind of, but I don't I I. <laughs> I think that most of okay, I can you remember when they were making the hell out of Louis L'Amour books into TV and movies? No, I don't. Like 10, 15, 20 years ago. What literally every fucking week there would be a Louis L'Amour film on TV. What did he write? Westerns. <laughs> I, I, I mean, any notables? Yeah, like everything that's been on TV in the last 30 years Okay. for a Western. He was like the flavor of the day. <coughs> Louis L'Amour. Not Louis L'Amour. <laughs> <laughs> Louis Lebeau. Louis Lebeau. He's not even French. Uh-huh. Then why is his name French? Lamont. Oh, I don't know. Maybe because he's a fucking writer. Lamont. <laughs> My name's Louis Lamour. <laughs> his name is Louis Lamour. Louis Lamour. Not Lamour. He French. He he fucking Frenchitized his name. That's offensive. Look at all this shit. 2001, 2001, 1991. The Quick and the Dead, 1997. Yeah, almost Sam Elliott. Um, 81, 82, the Sackets. The Sackets. Hondo. Which was a huge fucking 
TV series. He wrote uh, 17 episodes of Hondo. Yeah, Hondo, Kid Rodeo. Let's see. He wrote Taggart. Maverick, one episode. Um, Sugarfoot, one episode. I mean, look at all the shit that he's just written. I miss Death Valley days. Uh, Four Guns of the Border, Treasure of Ruby Hills. Climax. Climax Mystery Theater. Death Valley days. Where Western history comes alive. Anyways, like between 1950s and 2001, there was like a Louis L'Amour TV show on every other month. Mm. And and he was just he was just like the fucking flavor of the day. Yeah, I mean, he was like a Harlequin Harlequin romance. Yeah, exactly. Conniger, um, starring Sam Elliott and Catherine Ross. The Quick and the Dead, four years earlier, Sam Elliott. So that's this is how I view, like, if you watch these these types of movies, that's how I view the John Wayne movies. Uh-huh. Like, almost like Harlequin romance, you know, the tough guy having to save the girl and all this other shit. And ju- I... <laughs> Music. You're either a Beatles fan or an Elvis fan. And that basically determines what type of music you listen to. Uh-huh. So what type of band would you prefer? Elvis or the Beatles? Fuck, dude. And there is there is no right answer. Yeah, because I mean... I'm, but I'm, you have to pick one. It's not, oh, I like this one, but you have to pick one. If I had to pick one, you have Beatles. To pick one. Okay. If I had to <laughs> pick one, the Beatles, even though I've seen greatness in both of them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you like Elvis. It's what you prefer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Beatles had range, man. Was, well, once they got out of their fucking pop music phase, it doesn't matter. None of that shit matters. There, and there's a reason for that, I'm, and that's why I'm, I'm cutting you off because there, it's it's kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. If you like Elvis, yeah, you're most likely to be a country guy uh-huh. or person uh-huh. where you like the person that is on stage and he's like Garth Brooks or those types of bands. Not necessarily country, but those types of bands. Yeah, Beatles. You're probably going to more like like the bands like Aerosmith or Led Zeppelin or Rock, those types of bands where yeah. it's it's harmonizing bands. Pink Floyd. Yep. All those types of bands. That's the difference between the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. Or yeah. the Beatles and and uh Elvis. Yeah. Like if you like the stray cats, most likely you're an Elvis fan. I like the stray cats, but I'm I'm not a big Elvis fan, but I like the stray cats. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That rockabilly stuff. But I also but I prefer the Beatles. Yeah. See what I'm saying? So you like I said, you can like all the music. Yeah. yeah. You just have preferences. Oh yeah. So I and I view I view John Wayne. Almost the same way. John Wayne or Clint Eastwood? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So when, if you like John Wayne, you're going to like certain types of movies. Yeah. If you like Clint Eastwood, you're going to like certain types of movies. Yeah. The Dirty Harrys, the, the, the fucking the Star Wars, you know, Han Solo types. Yeah. You know, as with John Wayne, you're going to like the more the Louis L'Amour stuff, the, the, the romantic westerns or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. The Walt Whitney shit. Yeah. So that's how I kind of view it. And, mm-hmm. and, and you could, you can do that with almost every generation. Mm-hmm. You take the two big actors. Right. Not necessarily. I'm not saying that Clint Eastwood at the time of John Wayne was a big actor. Yeah. But yeah, he was still guest starring on Gunsmoke and shit. uh, Again, Elvis wasn't huge when the Beatles were huge. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It it comes down to those two people were acting at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you can, there's a line where you can pick this and this, A and B, right? So like when, when Spielberg comes out with Jaws, you know, there's Roy Scheider or Richard Dreyfuss or whoever, you know, and I'm trying to think of somebody else. But Robert Shaw. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of uh, like The Godfather, right? Yeah. So who were the big actors in 1976? I don't know if Al Pacino was or he Robert he De Niro. Wasn't big, no, neither one of them were big yet. Um, Brando was definitely big. Okay. So Marlon Brando or who? Um, <laughs> Jimmy Stewart? No, 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 Jimmy Stewart. No, he wasn't. Uh, no. Uh, Rock Hudson was still pretty big at that time. Uh, he, uh, Liz Taylor. Uh, um, um, oh, God. Uh, the, the fucking the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston. He was big. Jack Nicholson. But you need something. Yeah, Al Pacino was big in the 70s. He was, but not until God, after Godfather. Like... Like, you know, he hadn't, like, he got noticed for Godfather. He but, got noticed for Serpico. And then, um, but he was also in. Yeah. And then De Niro started to get noticed, but he was already, he started, you know, he was doing. Um, he wasn't big until Taxi Driver. 
Actually, De Niro, um, De Niro either won or got or was nominated for an Oscar for playing um, young Brando in um, in Godfather Two. Yeah, but he wasn't. Everybody talks about Godfather, uh-huh. and they but they talk about Brando. If you talk about Taxi Driver, you talk about De Niro. Yeah, you, you know, uh-huh. and there's some big fucking names in Taxi Driver. Yeah, yeah, and then because uh, yeah, in the uh, and De Niro was already doing Scorsese stuff um, before they like in Mean Streets. Like if you do the '70s, I would say you have to do like Marlon Brando or Gene Hackman or Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. Hoffman was definitely two. big in the '70s because because you have two dis- you have to have two distinct acting styles. Yeah. Oh well. Also, Nicholson has to be the one of them. Yeah. Besides Redford, you got to have Paul Newman. Um, Paul yeah, but Nicholson transcended that stuff. Yeah. Robert Redford, I would say Redford just transcended. Okay, so... I, I just don't think of... Nichol- do you prefer Nicholson or do you prefer Redford? Nicholson, because I grew up watching more Nicholson stuff than Redford stuff. Yeah. No, Redford was more mature type stuff. You know, um, all the president's men. Political. Yeah. Um, Nicholson, Nicholson was, was more, more freewheeling. More fun, um, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Easy rider. Yeah. and then, Even though I have a 60s, but still. No, oh, was it, I thought it was 69. Like 69? I uh, so. Yeah. Of course, the year of love, right? The summer of love. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he was an unknown at that time when he did uh, Easy Rider. Yeah. Uh, but you can do this for every decade, uh-huh. and then you, and when you pick, when you pick a, when, when you, when you find out the actors yeah. that you, you, you like, and then you follow that path, you'll see a pattern just like with the music stuff. Mm. And that's you know, like Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre and, and Cary Grant. Yeah. And I like all those guys. I'm not fans of Cary. I'm not a big fan of Cary Grant. I don't like everything that he does. I'm, I'm a fan of Peter Lorre. But if you if you look at what Peter Lorre's been in. Yeah, I, see, I missed out on Peter Lorre growing up. That was the problem with that. And and then then you follow his his path and the movies that he was in and 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 my likes and whatever else yeah. you'll see kind of a, a similarity to to a lot of the movies that same things like uh, the pink uh, the pink panther with peter sellers I, I i was too young to appreciate it when it came out and so it just never grabbed my attention yeah i've always i've always enjoyed peter lorry he was just a laszlo lowenstein yeah he played le chief mads mickelson you know played mm-hmm. le chief in the uh, the you know, casino royale daniel craig his uh his he died when he was 59. But yeah, but he was in the Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, Arsenic and Old Release. We already did that. Casino Royale. And those are all movies that I love. Yeah. Spy movies, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is an adventure movie. Casino Royale, a Bond movie. He did Roger Corman horror films too. Yep. So you can you can see if you look at his... Yeah, he left Germany when Hitler took over. Muscle Beach Party. Um, God, did that man. have Annette Funicello in it? <laughs> it did. Fucking Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. I knew it, motherfucker. If, it had, if, if it's going to be a beach party, it's going to have those two assholes in it. So... All right. All right. Uh, yeah. We've gotten way off track. I know. So... Uh, the reason why we're bringing all this up is because it's... October. Yeah, the first season. Yeah, it was the season of watching stuff and and yeah, every night I've been intentionally putting on horror films. And and we went and saw this movie where I was expecting something different, but I'll let you do your What were you expecting? I was expecting a good movie. <laughs> And you know what? That, that that kind of leads into what I'm doing. What I have to say about this movie is the season is, um, you know, like we're going to go see the Adams family. So I'm already like, okay, you know what? This is, even though I wasn't big on seeing an animated version of the Adams family, because I love the Raul, Julia, Angelica Houston version, you know, Christopher Lloyd, love those two films. Um, like the first one is like, it's close to perfection. I think that you could do an Adams family movie at that time period, you know, because they were doing a lot of TV show movies. Um, and Adam's family was done really well by Barry Sonnenfeld and, uh, the animated version. I wasn't, I I don't know why I I didn't really care. There's certain animated films. I just don't care to see, but regardless, we go and see the film and I'm already feeling good about it because it's the season and it's an, you know, it's a, it's a seasonal type movie. So, all right, movie starts and I'm already getting hooked in, man. I'm getting hooked in by the, by the animat, you know, the, 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 the the animation, (laughs) the animation and just the Tim Burton-esque feel of it all. Um, you know, with the, all the dark, you know, style, the dark, uh, mood and ambiance and, and it, it just, I was, I was on board. And then, and then also when the movie starts off, it sets up all of the characters, all the main characters are set up quickly 
and and uh, effectively. Like it, it was what? No, no, no. Okay. Go ahead. They they were set up like it, it went through their whole the whole family setup like in a few just a couple minutes. Like I mean, and it went through enough stuff to show the introductions of the two characters. They're getting married. You know, Morticia and 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 um, I almost said Pugsley. <laughs> Morticia and Gomez getting married, and then you know them running and and you know from the evil uh, you know the the angry uh, lynch mob of uh, townsfolk and shit. And then they get away, and they haven't had their kids yet, of course. And you know you get to see Fester there, and 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 you see them running to lurch, and it, it was, and then they get to their house. So it, I mean the whole thing they, it set it all up really really quickly it was really well done and i'm like okay this is you got me on board i'm paying attention i, I i'm enjoying this and it was almost like when you watch um uh, sleepy hollow by tim burton not a great movie overall but it had a great fucking atmosphere that, that regardless of the of the of the, the story problems and things like that the writing the ambiance of that film is fucking amazing and that's what this had at first it i was paying attention to the, just the whole overall look of it, the energy of it all. I was really in the mood. And then all of a sudden they throw in that stupid fucking storyline, that plot that brings it to where it has to inevitably go, which is the morality tale. And that's where the movie starts to derail. When it sets up these characters in their home and it does a combination of the comic book, the original comic that was done, um, the, the original TV series, and of the films from that Raul Julia was in from, um, you know, the, the, the two of them, Adam's family values and Adam's family. And it, it, it just, it did a really great combination of them all. And then, you know, little homages to all of that stuff. Well, there were, it's not a little homages. This movie specifically took a lot of Charles Adams stuff. Yeah. Like I'm going through all the pictures right now. So here's one of them where they dress lurch in the Christmas tree. Yeah. There's one. There's Grandma and um, Morticia. Morticia, and that looks like they're out back. Yeah. And then you have, like, here's where the f- entire family is. You have one of them riding a dog. Yeah. And you have, uh, that looks like it right there. Where else? Here, this one. The two pigs. The pig with the two heads. Yeah. So that was in one of the pictures. And then the character looks. Yeah. All of the characters that they took are straight from the Gomez or the, the Charles Adams uh, pictures. Yeah, serials or whatever you want to call them, right? Yeah, the the well, yeah, the the artwork uh-huh. and uh, or or comics or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and I I love the fact that they did that. Uh, the one thing you don't it's see, like I'm a Cobb Norman Rockwell. <laughs> yeah, like I don't I don't see thing. But the house is very look at see and look at that one that was in the movie that was in the first movie from 1990 where they they're pouring see they're going to pour the molted stuff on the on the carolers uh-huh. I didn't even realize that holy shit because that's how the first film starts from Barry Sonnenfeld yeah but fucking awesome I'm trying to find all of the not all of them I'm trying to find like specific there there we go perfect so when you're looking at the picture of the Adams family yeah. And you see Fester and Pugsley and Wednesday and Grandma and Lurch and Gomez and Morticia. Yeah. And you see the amount of effort and detail that they put into taking these characters that Charles Adams drew. Yeah. They added a little bit of style. You know, Morticia's a little bit more thin. Ghoulish. Yeah, she's vampire-esque. Yeah, and Fester's got more of a pickled nose. Like yeah, hanging. well, not really. I mean, that's just a straight-on picture. There's got to be a side picture of Fester Adams somewhere. <laughs> that's a creepy-looking one right there. Yeah. Hell? Uh, <laughs> Almost like Patton Oswalt. <laughs> it's Charles Adams yeah. as Pugsley. Uh, there's thing right there. Okay, that's cool. I- I'm trying to find a, uh, just a side view of a cartoon of Fester. You can see he has that, that yeah, big nose right there. It just there. wasn't, it doesn't dangle like it does in this movie, though. Yeah, so, I mean, a little bit of artistic integrity. I'm fine with that. It's very similar to Grandma Adams, if you see her nose. Yeah. So... When you see that stuff going on, I'm fine with I'm fine with artistic integrity. I'm fine with you know. See, it, his nose is a little bit bigger there. Yeah, I'm fine with them. Not artistic integrity or artistic um, expression. Yeah, I'm fine with them adjusting things. Yeah, because when you look at the whole picture of the when you look at the cartoon. Yeah, and you see how well that they did. Yeah, I mean his nose really doesn't look that big. It just 
There's just certain times in the movie where it felt like it was really like dangling, almost like a penis. <laughs> it looked really weird, like a, like a sausage hanging from his nose, right, or from his face. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, they they that that's what is upsetting about this film is that, and I don't hate this film, I really don't, and I don't regret seeing it. The problem is, is that it starts off so well done and it grabbed my interest. And then all of a sudden it starts to transfer over to from focusing squarely on these characters in their home life to adding in the outside elements. And they could have added the outside elements in a different way. And they didn't. They Instead, they, they went the safe and predictable route so they can come to the morality tale of this message that they always have to have now, which is um, being comfortable in your own skin, accepting yourself for who you are, and not trying to be like other people just because society says you're supposed to be. Uh, look, is that a good message? Yes. But does it need to be in every goddamn kid's movie? No, it doesn't. And the Adams Family is supposed to be fun, kooky, mysteriously ooky, all that shit. It's not, it doesn't need to have a message to it. Why can't it just be goofy, gothic, um, you know, gloomy fun? I, you know, it, it's supposed to be a certain way. It doesn't need to have this shit. And that's what bugs me about this film. That's what ends up ultimately being disappointing about it is that that you had all the elements there and it was working. It was working so well. And then all of a sudden those colors came in, those bright pastel colors. And, you know, like I said, it could have been a cool contrast if they had done it right, but they didn't. Instead, also this, besides this fact that they have to do the full house, you know, style, you know, morality thing at the end, you know, message, right? Is the other thing, it feel, also the storyline felt like it was just ripping off um, chunks of Edward Scissorhands, you know, and Edward Scissorhands is a good movie, and but they don't. I don't need to see another an Adams Family version of Edward Scissorhands. Uh, you know, this whole movie could have fo- should have focused, not could have, should have focused on just the family dynamic, them doing their things. And of course, you got to have some kind of antagonist and things like that. That's, that's how, just how movies go. But they could have been a good antagonist, not this stupid home renovation show shit where you have Alice and Janney, who is a great fucking actress. But here she's just this annoying, big, frode character, you know, who's just trying to control everything. And it, it I mean, I, I, we've seen these characters before and I don't want to see her character anymore. Like it just, it's annoying. It, it's, it's, it feels forced. And you know, I don't want, I, look, when I want, when I go see an Adams family movie, I want to see Adams family stuff. I don't want to see a copy, a simile, a facsimile of the shit that's on reality TV every fucking day. You know, I don't need to see, um, let's rebuild your house or, or, you know, fuck your garden or whatever they want to call it. These shows nowadays, I don't need to see them. They're goofy. I, you know, goofy. I goofarized my own word. I just made it up. I don't see any, see a goofarized version of those reality shows. I want to see Adam's family. So I keep going back to it because that's what it is disappointing about it. Cause this, and also this movie is never, there's two times where I laughed out loud and they were fucking great. It was when, and it's a song that neither one of us like, but if it's played during the right times, it's a great fucking song. Um, and I've heard the song played in two movies where it was great in night at the Roxbury. Um, it was played. And then in this movie it was played. It was uh, everybody hurts by uh, REM and it was fucking sung by Lurch and it's fucking hilarious. We were both laughing. And then the other scene that made me laugh and just start giggling like crazy was when, um, when Morticia got embarrassed, she got red in the face because of how Wednesday was dressing, how she was dressing like a, a you know, a schoolgirl, a regular schoolgirl, all pink and shit. And she, her, she, her face gets flushed and this fucking bat comes out of nowhere and lands on her chest and starts, and it just sucks the blood out until she goes pale again. And it was just- That was funny. You were, you were laughing. I missed- I missed it because I I don't know you you started laughing and I turned to look at you for some reason and I turned back and I see I see the I saw the bat yeah and it, I I didn't know if it landed on her chest or on her well, neck almost like a big necklace those big giant necklaces that's what yeah. I didn't see yeah. and then and then I didn't see her face go pale for some reason I think uh-huh. I was just focused on Wednesday yeah and then I but I saw the face drain again I'm like what the fuck just happened. <laughs> Oh my God. If that movie had scenes like that the entire time, great. But I mean, and, and the whole movie has amusing moments. There was plenty of times where I, I, I smirked. I made a, you know, like a little under the breath, you know, giggle, you know, it, it was okay. But there were all besides that shitty plot. I already told everybody about the, 
also the Nick Kroll as as Uncle Fester. I like Nick Kroll. If you've ever, if anyone's ever watched Nick Kroll in, in any of his comedy, I mean, the guy is extremely talented. He's hilarious. Great sense of humor. He's got range as an as a as a comedian. But even when uh, on uh, what we do in the shadows on the TV show, he was great in that too. Um, but in this, he's just. It reminds me of Adam Sandler doing um, cartoon voices. Like if you've ever seen Eight Crazy Nights, which is a sh- the one of the shittiest animated films I've ever seen. Really. I hate that fucking movie. I hate it. I, I can't stand the characters. The voices make me want to punch something. Um, okay. And yeah, I don't know. That, uh, I don't even want to get into that movie because I, I refuse to watch it again. Um, but it, it just seemed like when Nick Kroll doing the voice of Uncle Fester, he just felt like... He was a, just doing the voice from Big Mouth. Yeah, he was just doing the, the coach, the PE, the annoying ass PE coach from Big Mouth. Just He just did a slight, a very extremely slight change from the sound of the guy's voice. But that was it. So... I just, I could not get into, yeah, like, uh, see, and that character would have been funny in just little, little bits, but instead they, they, the show's crowned with him and it, it makes it fucking annoying. Coach Steve. Same thing with the, the, the kid on there that, that keeps fucking his pillows. We're in the third season now and he's still fucking pillows. It's like, move on. See, like I want to move on. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, um, I think that, um, using Nick Kroll to do the voice for Uncle Fester was a, was a, was a mistake. Um, uh, I also was going to think that doing the um, Snoop Dogg as the voice for Cousin It was going to be a mistake as well. But luckily, they they pretty much, because I kept waiting for him to just go, shizzle, dizzle, whizzle, gizzle, my nizzle, whizzle. Instead, he didn't do that. They it's, reigned it the fuck in. Yeah, they digitized, they did, they digitally, you know, changed his voice and, and it, it worked. You know, it didn't sound like, like, you know, like Cousin It, but still, it was fine. Except I love, I knew I had to look over at you when they had to play that goddamn overplayed Snoop Dogg song, you know, uh, uh, Drop It Like It's Hot. I'm like, God damn, dude, this song should never be played again. It's like hearing Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On during a love scene. You, it never should be played again in a movie. And um, I look over at you and you're just rolling, shaking your fucking head like, God damn, why do I have to... <laughs> you know, because you, you like when you watch Angry Birds and they're playing shit in there that, that you, it's like, yep. we, we don't need to hear this shit again, right? No, I'm, I'm totally... Yeah. I'm totally uh, on board with what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that just, uh, man, uh, luckily they didn't do this other than the stupid song. Cousin, it was fine. So I'm glad for that, you know, and I, I like the voices. Oscar Isaac did a great, you know, great Gomez and the, the look of Gomez was really cool. They, you know, Morticia done by Charlize Theron, who I kept forgetting was Charlize Theron doing the voice. I was like, that didn't even sound like her, you know, because I guess she's an Oscar winning actress or something. And uh, and then uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as um, as uh, Wednesday, you know, uh, all of it. It was it was, you know, it was, all those characters were fine. It, it just that subplot ruined the fucking movie and it's unforgivable. It really is because it wastes time. Like my son Kendrick who watched it with us, he fell asleep in the end of the movie because he started to get bored because he's seen this shit a million times too. And so ultimately that's the problem with this film is that is it worth seeing as an Adams family movie? Yes. Yes it is because there are elements that are are um that are uh, not f- forgiving, but there that um uh, redeemable kind of things. There's, you know, there's salvageable things from this, but this, uh, but ultimately it is a disappointing film because it starts off so well and the look of it's so good. Uh, and they, you know, the funny part is right after this thing, um, the first weekend it came out, they already greenlit the sequel, which, you know, okay, sure. You know, the hopeful side of me thinks, oh, hey, well they greenlit the sequel. So now maybe they can do something better the next time, but they're not. That's, that's not how Hollywood is. They're just going to use, throw some other fucking morality tale into there or some kind of statement. I wouldn't doubt if they're going to have some character that looks like Trump or something in the next one, just so they can make fun of him or some stupid shit. I, I, I don't even know, but uh, it just, that's the problem with this movie ultimately. And, um, and, but you know what, if you are going to go see a Halloween type movie, take the kids, just make sure they don't use clamps on their vices on their heads afterwards. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, this is a kid's movie. I, I watched, um, what's his name? I watched the, uh, his, his review. Oh, Stuckman. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's exactly what he said. I, I wanted to get his take on it. I yeah. usually watch his reviews after I see the movie mm-hmm. just to see if I'm on the same page. Yeah. Me and him are, v- are like very close to each other on a lot of his rev- on reviews. Yeah. And when, when I'm, when I'm watching, like, I don't agree with everything he says. Yeah. That's just how it really is. Um, 
but I agree with the majority of what he says. Mm -hmm. And I like his reviews because they're no nonsense. Yeah. And he gives a good take on everything that's going on in the movie, especially when he gets angry at the crowd. Yeah, and he's respectful, you know, even when he's criticizing, you know. Well, I guess. I don't know. Um, he's, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't brutalize a film just to brutalize it. No, he can brutalize it, but he will if it's he will if he feels that he's been lied to mm-hmm. he'll he'll absolutely just demolish a film yeah. um i like this review of uh, fanatic with uh, john travolta yeah that was funny because look when you when there are expectations going into a film yeah. and you don't hit those expectations you're allowed to be angry yeah especially i mean like i i've i've always said about this this show we don't pay for movies I'm sorry, we pay. We do pay for movies. We don't get paid for these movies. We don't get paid to do this. And and that and, and that's I kind of want it to be that way all the time because it it lends credibility to our reviews. Yeah. We're not we don't go to the early reviews. We don't go to, you know, special screeners or anything else like that. Yeah, we're not Harry Knowles. Yeah, we 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 as much as we would love to be invited, I don't expect it. And the other thing is, is this, I don't want it because paying for a movie and going to see that movie is first and foremost an experience. Yeah. Secondly, we get to talk about what it's like at the theater, you know? I think if we started getting free passes, which would be cool. It, it, it Once would, in a while, it'd be cool. But the, the problem Once is, a fucking is month that would be great. You're gonna, we're going to feel like this obligation to not be as harsh on a film if it does suck ass. Once once a month, free passes to a movie will be fucking great. That would be great. Dear Kevin Smith, <laughs> give us free passes to Jay and Silent Bob reboot when you come to town in January. That would be awesome. Thank you. That would be great. Yes. Um, the reality is, is we're going to pay for it. Probably. <laughs> and uh, we have no problem with that. And that's, but what it comes down to is, again, credibility. It makes us, it doesn't make us not more credible, but it makes us a credible source when reviewing these movies that other reviewers get shit on for. Yeah. Well, you just don't, you don't pay for this. You, you get the music free, you get the movies free, you get them screeners and this yeah. and that and the other thing. There are very few people on this planet who I rely on for honest movie reviews. Mm-hmm. You're one of them. Stuckman's one of them. There's another person yeah. um, who I know that works in the industry. Um, and he's, well, my cousin Paul. And he, uh, his, his reviews are amazing in and of itself. Yeah. Because he is, when it comes to movies, he is legit a fan of movies. Yeah. Like, like Paul Marshall is a legit fan of music. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, you know, compared to those two, we're, we're novices. We're <laughs> kindergarten teachers when it comes to yeah. movies or music and or not teachers, kindergarten students. When it comes to that stuff, yeah, these guys are the pinnacle of knowledge, in my opinion. When it comes to what they know, mm-hmm. and and you're somewhere in that range with right. your knowledge of movies, and I'm just I'm, I'm just a fish floating in the water. Um, you read a couple of books. I've read a couple. Of books. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not stupid about it, but I'm not anywhere near like 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 I said. Paul is a is is the music guy. Yeah. And Paul, my cousin, there's two of them. Yeah. Uh, who is the movie guy? Is a movie guy. Yeah. Like he knows the ins and outs because he studied that stuff and he's an editor. Yeah. He, so his knowledge of films are just amazing. Yeah. Your knowledge of films from whatever period, but his knowledge of film is yeah. Like, mine's the. Arm- all films. My knowledge is the armchair quarterback. Yeah, but he's he's like he's like the Joe Montana of films. Mm. I don't want to say Tom Brady because he's not the Tom Brady. He like because Joe Montana's been in the league for so long mm. and during the eighties and nineties. Yeah, and he knows the past better than most nowadays players. Right. Mm. Yeah. So his his experience in dealing with people like Y.A. Tittle or Bart Starr and all those guys, even Terry Bradshaw, you could you could say he's the Terry Bradshaw of films. You know. About the Broadway Joe? No. Terry Bradshaw won four Super Bowls. Broadway Joe's just a a talker who's won one Super Bowl and the Jets have sucked since then. (laughs) The Steelers have... The Steelers have always been a good team. Oh, yeah. The Jets have been a mediocre team with the exception of like a couple of years. And that's what I'm talking about mm. is when you have a consistent winning record over your career and 
you know you you can trace your history from past to present you know with all the people that you have talked to yeah with all the people that have touched your life like Paul Brown like Terry Bradshaw is the link between the past football and the present football yeah he's the guy that knows George uh, uh, the George Hallis and Paul Brown and Dick, Belichick too but Dick Buckus uh, well yeah but Dick Buckus was in the 60s 70s I'm talking about guys that were in the 30s and the 40s you know that have been around the league that you can trace back to the start of the league yeah you know like the Paul Browns so when you talk about that stuff when when you can literally have a history and have that knowledge of history of film whereas your history your knowledge and history of film goes to like the 80s yeah because you fucking hate the 70s you know for the most part for the most part I mean there's definitely some gems in there but yeah there's a lot of the style of the 70s yeah you're yeah, you're not a fan of that that era. It's not nostalgic to me at all. And and I don't know about the 60s or the 50s, and I'm a fan of 40s and 50s movies mm-hmm. and some 60s movies, depending on the movie. Yeah. And 70s, it depends on the movie again, you know. Yeah, like I'm not a fan of the 60s, but yet when we watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was done so fucking good that I, I didn't care. You know? Right. I loved it. I loved the aesthetic of it all. Yeah, and I, and I didn't mean for this to go too, too long. I, I was kind of like a hit and I was hoping you were going to say Joe Namath because he was in CC and Company. Well, yeah, CC right here. Okay. And but but what I'm saying is is that with 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 all of this going on and the Adams family, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a history just like the Adams family has a history and it goes back to the 30s. Yeah. And you take that information and you try to translate it into a modern day cartoon. It doesn't work. Yeah. It didn't work for the cartoon series, The Addams Family, either, if you've ever remembered that. Fuck, you're right, dude. I didn't even think about that. It is modernized. In that, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I did bring up the reality show shit, but I didn't think of the fact that, you know, The Addams Family is, they're old. They're past stuff, you know. They're yeah, they're- Different era. They're almost 100 years old. Yeah. And that's crazy to think about, right? Yeah. So when you are, when 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 the cartoon in and of itself that Charles Adams made is 60, 70, 80 years old. Yeah. You're, and you want to modernize it. Well, first and foremost, you've made a mistake. Yeah. Because you need to establish. That's why the original movie works so well. Adam's family worked well because they didn't try to really modernize it. They fit the they fit the Adams family yeah. into a society that wasn't ready for them. Yeah. And they didn't try to change the Adams family. Yeah, the, I, I remember the whole fish out of water thing when they got kicked out of their house. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Ralph Julie keeps calling Sally Jesse Raphael. Yeah. He's living in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, it was funny. They didn't overdo it and it was fine. And, and and that's the thing. You have to take this family and you're not removing them or you're not you're not forcing them into society. Yeah. You're forcing society to them. Yeah. Because that's how the Adams family are. They don't give a shit one way or the other. No. And in this movie, you're forcing that family to change to push an agenda. Yeah. You know, you're fundamentally changing the characters and that doesn't work. Yeah, they didn't need to do that with Wednesday. You know? And well, I like that whole idea that Wednesday wanted to break free. I like that. That's what children do. They're 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. They try to break free and and she they she did it to piss her mom off. Yeah. But she wasn't that didn't fundamentally change her character. The other bullshit fundamentally changed is trying to fundamentally change these characters where we all have to get along. Yeah. The if you watch any of the Adams family TV show, if you watch the movies, they don't give a shit about getting along. They're just them. They just exist. That's what they do what they do. And and they like everybody. Yeah. So it's the, forcing them to try to get along because they're weird or whatever else doesn't work. It didn't work for this film. Yeah. Again, going back to the movie, going back even to the cartoons, everybody has to fit into these little neat little segmented sections of society Mm -hmm. and and the Adams family exists outside that and if you want the Adams family to be a part of your film or you want to you know you want them to be a part of this environment the people that are involved in this whole thing have to understand that the outside has to conform to the Adams family 
not the Adams family conforming to them. Yeah. And that's the problem with this film is that now they're trying to get the Adams family to conform to society. They're not conformists. They never were. They have their own family traditions. That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's why it's called Adam's family. Yeah. So they 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 exist outside of the norm. Look, in real life, change is good. It's good to progress. Things like that, right? Get rid of some old traditions. Great. But when you're watching something like classic established characters, that's a totally different thing. And that's why the Adams family, like you said, shouldn't be fucked with. And and it and not. You can you can change the characters. No, I'm not. Oh, let me fix that. The characters can grow. Yeah, that's the whole point of stories: growing the characters. Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't mean that they're changing. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they're readjusting their values. What it means is is that you have characters that are <laughs> instead of forcing them to be this one way. You know, mm-hmm. they become either weirder. Yeah. Which is what happens with Fester in the Adams Family, Adams Family Values. Yeah. And in this movie, when you throw in all of those movies and whatever else, and the cartoon and all that, you end up with this weird amalgamation, this weird fucking Frankenstein's monster, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Where where you have Fester literally turning into the same goddamn character that he turned into in, was it the second movie or the first movie, where Joan Cusack's character or two yeah so we're joan cusack's character who is this this fucking gold digger that's right she fucking neuters him right right so literally you're you're just moving that same plot line forward for the next movie because margo is the same way yeah but now she loves fester and his weirdness yeah they had to combine them instead of her just you know like like the why didn't the townsfolk fucking pitchfork her ass out of town well, she bought the town. You know what I mean? It would have been, but you know what I mean? Like, like okay, the townsfolk try to go after the Adams because they're you know misguided or whatever. Right. And then the movie ends up with with uh, with reality chick lady. She's the one that ends up getting pitchforked out of town. Yeah, I, I even then, like, how does she not know that the Adams family house wasn't there? On the hill that had all the creepy fog and the and the lightning continually going on while she's building the shit. Her, maybe her hair was in the way. I, I don't fucking know. Uh, that's. I mean, <laughs> there, there's there's a that, lot of fundamental problems that is with a, this movie. That is, is it, what do you call that continuity problem? Or? Yeah, and then you, you the name of the town is called assimilation. You yeah, know, I mean, come on. Yeah, no, that's on the nose. Just like a, what was the name of Earth on um, on Escape from Planet Terra? Yeah, it was just something. Yeah, it was dirt. It was yeah. You name you literally named your own planet dirt. Yeah, you know, um, I, like I just the beginning of this movie. I totally agree with. Started off so well. Yeah, moving to New Jersey. The it and the reason why they moved it to New Jersey mm-hmm. is because that's where Charles Adams had his house. Yep, and. Oddly enough, he lived on Elm Street, and I think <laughs> I, I want to say that that was kind of an inspiration for Nightmare on Elm Street. With the, I mean, if you look at the house, possible for uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, which looks like the Amityville house. Yeah, but if you look at the house where Charles Adams grew up in on Get Elm Street, out. it almost looks like the Elm Street house from the movies. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I wonder if there there was kind of a uh, a little homage going on there, but. Yeah. This movie within the first 30 minutes is okay. After that, the first act, pass. <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, up, up until, like, you hear uh, there's a character named Parker, right? And Parker rides up to the gates for the Adams family, yeah. and she rings her bell. And you see Wednesday kind of walk to the gates, and then Parker leaves because she gets scared. Up till that point, the entire movie was fucking great. Yeah. And then, and then we got sucked into... Uh, and I wasn't going to have a problem with this if it was done right, because now you have you have that that um, uh, uh, conflict contrast. Yes, contrast yeah. between dark and light. Yeah, right. So the Adams family lives in in the Moors, the Scottish Moors, if you want to call I know, it like, that. Like like right? in Edward Scissorhands. And then you have the town, which is all bright and rainbowy and f- colorful, pastelly. Yeah, and and then they didn't even play on that. They they just you just, know the swamp gas got sucked away and then all of a sudden it's all bright and everything else. It just focused on the whole reality to show bullshit. That's all it did. Yeah, and so it's weird. And, and it would have been better if they actually did a reality show yeah. on the Adams family. Yeah. So and people just keep disappearing by them trying <laughs> to make a statement on calling the town assimilation. They 
but they could have, you know, they could have done something with that. But instead, they the movie itself assimilated to the same old shit. Yeah. And so that's kind of like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, poetic or... Uh, ironic. Ironic is, yeah, because it, it you know, they... they oh God, it's just disappointing. Yeah, it, it, there's it, nothing about this movie that is worth repeating. There's nothing, I mean, it's it'll be fun for kids ages three to ten. Yeah. Maybe. Eleven. Yeah. You know, kids that are into animation or kids that are into this this fluff and nonsense, this this safe movie yeah. making. Instead of taking risks with something with the Adams family and actually showing an Adams family a little bit more I don't want to say disturbing or hardcore, but dark. Uh, yeah, a little more more darker, a little more Charles Adams than fucking Disney. Started off dark, and then that goddamn reality show came in, and then it turned. <laughs> yeah, it's it started off regular Adams Family, yeah. and then it turned into Disney. Yeah, you know, nineteen eighties Disney. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. So it's hard to recommend this movie, but if you're gonna go see something Halloween related during the season, maybe check it out matinee style. Uh, but just don't have high hopes. I, you know what? I, I just. I mean, Zombieland's coming out. So yeah. I don't think this movie is a 39% like Rotten Tomatoes says, but to me, I would say that this is like a. Uh, oh man, it's like a 50 percent to me. Uh, I, I don't think it's that high. Because I, I mean, like I said, I was amused throughout from the start to the the end. I was amused by the film. Okay, even though it, it you know, the, the, the you know the last two acts are bad. It's just yeah. Yeah. So here's Charles Adams Elm Street House. So it almost kind of looks like the uh, nightmare. Like a mini. Yeah, and also looks like a miniature version of what you what you see in the shows and movies. See, very very similar. Mm -hmm. That's in uh, Pasadena, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like how how uh, Carpenter's Halloween was filmed in L.A. and they had to use um they had to paint like gourds and shit to look like pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um. So anyway, uh, that's all I got for this movie. You got anything else? Nope. All right. Well, to keep up with the season, the next one we're gonna see is uh, Zombie Land. No, 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 no. We don't do that no more. No. Well, then I guess we'll go fuck ourselves. Nope. Because sometimes these may may uh, come out of order. Okay. Whatever's clever. All right. So that's all we got. Da, 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 da. Good night.